Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Two long-awaited transit projects are in the spotlight tonight as the Prime Minister joined the Premier and local mayors to make what was billed as a big announcement. But that announcement was really more of a re-announcement. Ted Chernecki now with a reality check of what came out of today's event and when shovels could actually be in the ground. By definition, a photo op requires A, an opportunity, and B, a lot of photographers. And with the Prime Minister in town, this was perhaps a questionable opportunity to re-announce federal funding for TransLink's $4.5 billion LRT line from Surrey to Langley and the SkyTrain extension out to Arbutus. Today, I'm pleased to announce that the federal government will invest a total of $1.37 billion to see two major rapid transit projects in Metro Vancouver through completion. But wait, hasn't all this been announced many times before? Investing nearly $20 billion more. $370 million for public transit right here. Everything that was announced today has already been announced. The funding, the stations, everything. We knew this already. Why are we here? Isn't this just a photo op? Uh, on the contrary, what we're doing right now is making sure that in advance of the municipal elections, everyone understands that we've locked in this funding for the next 10 years. Even the province 18 months ago, then under a Liberal government, announced it would match federal funding. That was March 2017, three weeks before the the NDP won the election. For what it's worth, this is my first announcement on uh, LRT in Surrey and uh, the Broadway line. And, and that's, uh, we talked about this during the election campaign, that we were going to increase the provincial contribution. So how many more times are we going to have this announcement about funding? Uh, I will leave it to the answers that uh, both the Prime Minister and the, and the Premier gave to that question. Even a date for starting construction was the same, shovels in the ground by 2020. That's also been said before. Our notional schedule is the Surrey project should be open around 2024, the Broadway, uh, I'm sorry, in 2023, the Broadway subway in 2024. And in case you missed it, there was a mention of an upcoming civic election, just six and a half weeks away. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on this. Keith, the announcement may have been about transit, but almost every question they took was about the, pub line, uh, the pipeline. Yeah, reflection, I think, of the group consensus reported not much news here, but what took over was the pipeline and the lack of a NAFTA deal. And the Prime Minister, again, reaffirming his commitment to building that pipeline. And I think reporters just couldn't resist the opportunity to bring that issue up because you had both John Horgan and Justin Trudeau on the same stage. And, of course, they have different positions on the pipeline. But Justin Trudeau taking the opportunity to stress the, the similarities between their two priorities in, in fixing the issues that the court, federal court found so wanting in last week's ruling. Here's the Prime Minister. Both of us understand the need for reconciliation and partnership with Indigenous peoples. Both of us understand the need for world-class science and protection of the environment while we develop our economies. There's always going to be areas where we see things differently, but our capacity to work together on a values basis is exactly what uh, British Columbians and indeed all Canadians expect. 
Now, the Prime Minister was also asked whether he expects that pipeline to begin construction before next year's federal election. He basically skirted that question. But, Chris, it seems very likely that all possibilities, shovels will be in the ground for those rapid transit projects before they're in the ground to build the pipeline expansion, expansion project. Chris? Sounds like it. All right. Thanks, Keith. Gangs and gun control in Surrey next on the Prime Minister's agenda today, sitting down for a roundtable discussion on the topic this afternoon. Our Aaron MacArthur joins us with more on the heavy hitters in attendance today and what they were hoping to accomplish. Aaron. Sophie, the last two prime ministers have been to British Columbia to talk about transit announcements and then talk about gangs and guns. The difference this time, a groundswell of community activists who want more than just talk, they want solid commitments. Ahead of a major fundraiser in Surrey, the Prime Minister taking time to address the biggest local issue, gang violence. Obviously there are uh, significant challenges uh, facing youth in, in Surrey, uh, issues of guns and gangs. Meeting with youth and community groups who are looking for answers and an injection of cash. The city has asked for 32.8 million. We've come up with 48 million, so that's pretty close to the 32.8. The minimum, what the city has put together, 32.8 needs to be delivered to the city. The Prime Minister heard from Wake Up Surrey about the issues they feel need to be addressed immediately and heard how local Liberal MPs aren't living up to their expectations. This isn't about going to weddings or bogues or other galas. Our elected MPs and our representatives need to pull up their socks. More officers, more money, but the same problems. Gang violence, an issue the community can't quite get a handle on. In the last two decades, 230 South Asian youth gunned down. This is not about blame. It's, it's our societal values, it's our education system, it's policing, it's also our funding. Funding needs, and legislation, it's multi-layered. With a local election in a month and a federal election a year from now, this is an issue that will dominate the minds of voters and by appearances, the politicians, too. Well, we heard it's about funding, Aaron. So can the federal government directly fund Surrey? Yeah, the funding formula that is in place uh, is fairly convoluted. The federal government gives money to the provinces who meet it out to the municipalities. The, the community groups want to see that money come directly from the federal government. They argue Surrey is a unique case with unique circumstances. That is a long ask, and, and the Prime Minister said he would consider it, however. Back to you. All right, we'll see what happens, Aaron. Thank you. North Shore, uh, North Shore Rescue got some backup from the military for help in a night rescue involving a seriously injured hiker. The man fell at least five meters when he lost his grip on a rope. Grace Key explains what made this such a difficult rescue and the challenges facing the volunteer group. North Shore rescuers raced to save a badly injured hiker near Crown Mountain. They were called out to the Camel, a rocky bluff, shortly before 9 p.m. Monday night, after the man fell more than six meters down the mountain. So we have two field teams, about 10 members, hiking in uh, to make patient contact and get an assessment of their condition and come up with a plan on how to get them out. It took rescuers three hours to get to the hiker. A military helicopter from CFB Comox was brought in. The Cormorant has night vision capabilities and was able to hoist the injured person out. At about 3 a.m., the man was airlifted out and taken to Vancouver International Airport, where an ambulance was waiting to transport him to hospital. There were some moving parts in it, 
for sure, and a lot of unknowns, in particular the, the location of the subject and the nature of the injuries for the subject had us concerned. Uh, once we got on site, uh, we were able to work with the SARTAX who had been uh, dropped off by the cormorant. North Shore rescue volunteers and the hiker who made the initial 911 call had to hunker down for the night until it was safe for them to fly out at daylight. Grace Key, Global News. Yeah, and more tonight on the rescue of a Vancouver woman who fell deep into a cave near Penticton. The woman was hiking with two friends in Skaha Bluffs Provincial Park when she fell nearly eight meters. It took cave experts who were flown in to help, along with the skill of rescue crews, to reach the woman. They've made the assessment and said, yeah, you know what, we need a higher level of training to be able to make sure that we take the person out successfully and we don't want to cause any more injury to that person, so we want to do it as safely as possible. Seven hours later, the woman was long-lined out of the cave, taken to Penticton Regional Hospital by ambulance and then transferred to Kelowna for treatment. Back to school excitement and a reminder today for drivers, including parents, to slow down in school zones. 30 kilometer per hour speed limits are now in effect in school zones from 8 in the morning to 5 in the evening, Monday to Friday. Anyone caught breaking the rules could be slapped with a $200 fine. One school volunteer says in his 14 years, one of the biggest issues he's witnessed is rushing the pickup and drop off. 70% children get dropped off by their parents or friends. This is the biggest challenge. So you throw 350 cars that's been dropped off in 20 minutes, but the peak time is only 10 minutes every morning. Meantime, seven school fields have been closed after glass and plastic was found littered all over the grass. The Sunshine Coast School District Superintendent said schools have used the top dressing on the fields before, but this time it contained shredded glass, plastic and ceramic materials. Crews are now quickly working to clear the contamination. They have also contacted the contractor who applied the product in the first place. The fields are expected to reopen by the weekend, but until then, students and community members are asked not to play or allow their pets in those areas. Now the details of a troubling new report on child welfare. Canadians can be very smug about what a great country this is to raise children. But the research paints a very different picture compared to other wealthy countries. John Waugh has more on how we're failing our children. As scores of children head back to school to continue their path to a promising future, the warning bells are being sounded across the country about their welfare right now. From coast to coast to coast, we see that far too many kids' lives are in jeopardy due to threats to their physical and mental well-being. The report from Child First Canada paints a startling picture, where a third of Canadians suffer some form of child abuse before the age of 16. 26% are subject to physical abuse, while 10% are violated sexually. Any report like that is alarming in that it raises... Uh, sad facts that we have to reconcile ourselves to. Meet BC's new representative for children and youth, 
one of Dr. Jennifer Charlesworth's top priorities is their mental health. We're seeing children younger and younger and younger that are presenting with significant mental health concerns. So how do we back that up a little bit? Over 10 years, there's been a 55% increase in child and youth hospitalizations due to mental health concerns. More recently, in 2016 to 2017, almost 5,200 children were hospitalized right here in BC. What's also deeply disturbing is that uh, suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people in our country. And the weight of housing affordability is also having an effect across the country. 1.2 million children in Canada live in low-income housing. BC has the fifth highest percentage among the provinces at 18.5% of children. What people fail to realize is that oftentimes when ranked amongst other well-developed nations, we rank far behind, 25th currently in the world, for the best place for children to grow up in. So there are calls for a new National Children's Commission and dedicated budget. Because when it comes to our kids, the lesson is Canada can do better. John Hua, Global News. Explosive allegations in a new book by decorated journalist Bob Woodward. What it says about Donald Trump and how the U.S. president is reacting. Coming up on the News Hour. And the house needed a new roof, but now it's going to need a lot more than that after this epic crane failure. That's coming up later. Right now, though, growing wildlife concerns on Vancouver Island tonight. The deer population is booming, and locals fear for their safety. Kylie Stanton spoke with one victim of a deer attack, frustrated by an increasingly dangerous problem. I just open it, and you just stand aside. Jan Picard is used to this routine. The deer find their way in through the eight-foot double fencing, and it's up to her to get them off this Oak Bay property. Usually, out they go. But that wasn't the case early Monday morning. And I got about here. I heard her coming, and I turned and bang into the dirt. Picard was pummeled by a doe who was likely trying to protect her fawn. Soon, another joined in. Feels like I've been in a schoolyard fight, and I got punched out by the bullies. She managed to escape, rolling down the steps and curling into a ball, where she waited 15 minutes before the herd finally left the area. She suffered only some minor bruising, but now feels far from safe in her own backyard. They don't belong in an urban setting. The attack now fueling the notorious Oak Bay debate, better known as the deer divide. Those who were for them. They were here before we were, and we've got to learn to live with them. And those who were against. It's a really tough decision, but, uh, you know, you have to do something. Oak Bay has had a deer program in place since 2013. The district called 11 of the herd a few years back, and now, as long as a permit comes through from the province, it's ready to make its next move, this time using contraception. We're ready to go. They have the serum, they have the dart guns, and uh, we should certainly see come the next rutting season or following the next rutting season, a reduction in the number of births. But in the meantime, the run-ins continue. Yeah, just over 150 in, uh, aggressive encounters so far this year. It's not uncommon, and uh, it's just a case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. That brings little comfort to this victim, who says it's just a matter of time before it happens again. People are getting hurt, properties damaged. We can't walk our dogs, we can't ride our bikes. These deer were aggressive. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. J50, the ailing orca, receiving a little more help from the experts. They're right, right ahead, right ahead, right ahead. I see her patch.
This was yesterday. Dr. Martin Helena, the head veterinarian at the Vancouver Aquarium, delivering a second dose of antibiotics to J50. The three-year-old southern resident killer whale is severely emaciated and has been the focus of an international response effort for several weeks. The treatment priority has now shifted to administering a deworming medication to reduce any parasitic burden on J50 systems so she can begin to recover. If you take a very literal view of best before dates, you're not alone. But the truth is, a lot of that food is still safe to consume. Now, one group is making sure at least some of it's diverted from the dump and put to good use. Tanya Beja explains where it's going. We also have some nuts, fresh bread, some sweet things. Igor Bielets doesn't let good food go to waste. Donuts, beautiful donuts. Bielats moved to Canada from Serbia three years ago and says he was shocked to learn this country tosses out roughly $31 billion worth of food each year. So when I see this amount, which is ending in the, in the garbage, I'm just my heart is breaking. So while Bielats was learning English in Coquitlam, he and his classmates came up with a plan. The two dozen immigrants and refugees from 11 countries come to grocery stores like Save on Foods every week where they pick up boxes of produce, meat, dairy and treats about to reach the best before date. This is made September 3rd and best before is September 7th. Okay, let's go together. The volunteers deliver the food to local shelters and schools where it's used for breakfast and hot lunch programs and sent home to families in need. If you have a healthy body, it makes it easier to have a healthy mind and to learn. And so uh, providing uh, a richness and variety of food that may not be provided at home is something that is completely beneficial. Bielatz also returns to his old stomping grounds in Coquitlam, delivering groceries to refugees and immigrants, learning English in the LINK program so they can lower their bills while looking for work. The, it's uh, saving money for me, for my family, because we are newcomers here. Bielat says diverting food from the dump has also helped him find a purpose in his new home. So this, for me, this was uh, uh, the, the way how I connect with the Canada and also the, the perfect way how we can contribute to local community and give it back a little bit for Canada, which welcome us. His hope is that more grocery stores will get on board. Tanya Beja, Global News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Surveillance video captures what Egyptian authorities say was a botched terror attack on the U.S. Embassy in Cairo. Chemicals in a man's backpack catch fire outside the embassy's blast walls. He falls to the ground injured and is arrested by police. Officials say the 24-year-old man intended to use the material in a hostile act. Chaos in the Indian city of Kolkata today where the collapse of a highway overpass killed at least one person. A half dozen vehicles crashed to the ground when a 30-meter-long section of concrete gave way. At least 20 people were rushed to hospital. Now, this is the second major road collapse in Calcutta in two years. The last one in 2016 killed 26 people and was later blamed on bad design and poor quality materials. 
No word on the cause of today's collapse, but there are reports that police had warned about problems with the span. A powerful typhoon has slammed into western Japan, leaving at least eight people dead and causing widespread damage. Jebi is the strongest typhoon to make landfall in Japan since 1993, with wind gusts up to 180 kilometers an hour. The storm sent a tanker crashing into a bridge connecting the international airport to the mainland, damaging both the bridge and the ship. More than 100 people have been injured. Communities along the U.S. Gulf Coast are preparing for their own brush with extreme weather as Tropical Storm Gordon draws closer. Businesses and homes are being sandbagged and residents are stocking up on supplies. Hurricane watches and warnings stretch from Florida through Louisiana. Some areas could get up to a foot of rain. Senior members of the Donald Trump administration are firing back against the allegations in an explosive new book by famed journalist Bob Woodward. The book claiming, among other things, that the White House chief of staff called the president an idiot with the understanding of a fifth or sixth grader. In his explosive new book, Bob Woodward describes the Trump presidency in the midst of a nervous breakdown. Excerpts first obtained by the Washington Post quote aides calling it crazy town, at times paralyzed by the Russia investigation and that possible interview with Robert Mueller. I've always wanted to do an interview. Woodward describing the president's one-time lead attorney, John Dowd, so convinced the president would commit perjury, he staged a practice interview last January. That session so rocky, Woodward reported reports Mr. Dowd later told Mr. Trump, don't testify. It's either that or an orange jumpsuit. The book also a remarkable portrait of aides taking extreme measures to block their boss. Former economic advisor Gary Cohn reportedly preventing the president from withdrawing from a trade agreement with South Korea by swiping a letter off his desk. And after the president told Defense Secretary James Mattis he wanted to assassinate Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad for a chemical attack on civilians, Mattis reportedly told the president on the phone he would do it, but then telling a senior aide, quote, we're not going to do any of that. And the book describing extraordinary insults from the president's staff. Woodward writing Mattis has described Mr. Trump as having the understanding of a fifth or sixth grader. And chief of staff John Kelly has called the president an idiot, an account first reported by NBC News. Tonight, Kelly calling that accusation BS and another pathetic attempt to smear people close to President Trump and distract from the administration's many successes. Woodward didn't talk to President Trump for the book, saying his requests went unanswered tonight publishing this phone call with the president from last month who did you ask about speaking to me well about six people uh you know they don't tell me late today the president responding in an interview with the daily caller saying it's just another bad book and woodward had a lot of credibility problems Construction work on the roof of a home in Orlando, Florida, goes very wrong, creating a lot more work. A crane toppled onto the house, literally splitting the top floor in two. Thankfully, no one was home when it happened and no one was hurt. Authorities are still investigating. Drivers are often warned that worn-out, poorly inflated tires are prone to dangerous blowouts. But as Global Sean O'Shea reports... An Ontario man is looking for answers after a tire exploded on his brand new vehicle. So this is the tire. 
This is the tire. More precisely, it's a Goodyear Wrangler Kevlar tire, the vehicle's original tire. How old is this vehicle? I got this Jeep in July. These tires are brand new tires. Political consultant and lawyer Warren Kinsella talking about the tire blowout in the passing lane of Highway 401 near Woodstock on the weekend. I heard from a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me saying, you're lucky to be alive. You should be dead. That nearly new Goodyear on the Jeep ruptured badly. There's no evidence of a nail or surface damage, and the road was smooth when he ran into trouble. And I was actually following some Hell's Angels. They were ahead of me, and uh, they would know better than me, you know, the quality of the roads. If you want an example of what can happen if your tire blows out on the highway, check this YouTube video involving another Jeep a few years ago. The driver stays calm, but minus one tire, he loses control and rolls over. That actually was not the worst thing in the world. Sudden uh, funny sound, sudden tire depressurization. Kinsella says the tire pressure was perfect before the trip. He's conscious about that sort of thing, he says. Besides, the vehicle has onboard tire monitors. I trust these guys when I give them all my dough to, you know, give me a Jeep that's got a safe set of tires on it. Global News contacted Goodyear, which didn't respond. Fiat Chrysler, which manufactures the Jeep, told us FCA Canada is pleased no one was injured in this incident. Tires are warranted by the tire manufacturers, which is outlined for customers in the warranty information booklet. We encourage the customer to reach out to a local dealership or contact customer service for further information and assistance. This is crazy. This is totally unacceptable because if it's, it's happened to me, the chances are it could happen to somebody else. And if one practically new tire blew out, it's worth considering this. Yeah, well, if one goes bad, maybe the others can go bad too. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, a new UBC study on hockey players suggests doctors and coaches might want to rethink their post-concussion protocols. As Linda Aylesworth reports, researchers say the brain is still recovering even when athletes feel fine. And sending them back onto the field of play could still be dangerous. It takes some pretty impressive equipment to unlock the mysteries inside a living brain. Dr. Alexander Weber does it with magnetic resonance imaging. I mean, the brain has got to be one of the most complex um, structures ever created in the universe. We're nowhere close to understanding it. But he's a bit closer to understanding concussions. We wanted to know uh, what, if anything, was happening to myelin after uh, a hit. Myelin is the fatty tissue that surrounds and insulates nerve fibers. What he knew, thanks to previous research at Loma Linda University, was that after a concussion, the myelin separates into layers. And here we can see um, the loosening of this uh, fatty tissue letting in water between the layers. It's believed this loosening leaves nerves vulnerable to further injury. What Weber wanted to know was how long it took the myelin to heal. To do this, he enlisted the help of 45 University of British Columbia hockey players, who were all scanned before the season began. The 11 who ended up with concussions received follow-up scans. We scanned the players after they were concussed, um, almost immediately after, and then two weeks after, and then two months after. What he found was that after two weeks, all concussion symptoms had disappeared and the players were deemed recovered enough to return to the ice. But... We can see objectively that uh, their brain tissue is still damaged, and that may mean that it's very vulnerable to a second hit. By two months, however, the myelin had repaired itself. Interesting findings, but it still leaves the question, when is it safe to return to the game?
So we know that two weeks is too early to return, two months is safe to return, but we don't know about the time between. The answer will have to wait until they get more funding. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Stolen and missing for 13 years, one of the most valuable pairs of shoes in the world has been found. The details <laughs> after the forecast. Just click your heels together and we'll get there. <laughs> All right, summer vacation may be over for the kids, but it still feels like summer out there. Christy? Yeah, which is nice for the kids. A lot of kids not having a full day of school today, so being able to get out and enjoy it. Yeah, so we warmed up to 23, 24 degrees. A lot of people, though, reporting on Twitter that they're smelling smoke in uh, New West, uh, Delta. Uh, we're seeing that in um, Burnaby as well. Uh, there is a bit of haze, but I'm not seeing a ton of it. And the air quality uh, advisory has not been uh, issued. So I think it's just sort of coming and going. Uh, and we're also getting reports of it in Pender Harbor, a lot of smoke as well. But a beautiful day nonetheless. Yes, let's recap summer, shall we? We were above average for temperature both in July and August, especially in July, by 2.1 degrees and below average per, for precipitation, below by 30 millimeters in July and 24 in August. Yes, it was a dry and warm summer. Only three days of rain in July. That's the uh, forest fire situation. First frost this morning in the interior regions. Yesterday, we had the first snowfall, higher elevations in uh, Big White. We saw that in first frost today. And, of course, kids heading back to school. So it was chilly to start with. Uh, temperatures last night dropping down to minus 2 in Clinton, minus 1 in Fort St. John, 0 degrees in Princeton. Not all areas cool, but certainly a lot of areas. We had some cold fronts drop the temperature, but as well, the nights are getting longer. And that's why that temperature is dropping. We are losing, I hate to tell you about this, but we are losing three minutes and 32 seconds of daylight each day. Uh, fall equinox happening on September 22nd and sunset now at 748. But it starts to get cool around 6 p.m. I, I was out at the PE, of course, the last couple of days, and it really does start to get cool earlier in the evening. Now, temperature-wise, though, we warmed up today, and that tends to happen this uh, time of year. We get chilly nights, but we warm up nicely during the day if that sun is out. And we're going to see that for the next two days. Nice upper level ridge holding strong. Uh, it will be through Wednesday and Thursday, but then we've got a big pool of cold air that's going to shift on shore just in time for the weekend. Friday being a transition day, but for the weekend, and it's going to hold right through a good part of next week. So enjoy the next two days. Northern regions, you do have a chance of showers, but most of the rest of the province, sunny and warm. Mid-20s across southern regions tomorrow, upper 20s in Kamloops, 26 degrees away from the water tomorrow in Metro Vancouver and on Thursday, Friday transition day showers later on and we'll see that through the weekend and I'll leave you with this beautiful shot from Steveston. Thanks to Phil Hayes for that one. This was last night. That is sailing, sailing off into the sunset. Oh, right. We all like to do that. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Some days. Hey, it's not often the FBI holds a news conference to announce the recovery of a stolen pair of shoes, but these are no ordinary slippers. Under the rainbow. The FBI announcing today they have found one of the four existing pairs of ruby slippers worn by Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz, of course. They were stolen from a museum 13 years ago, and a tip led to an undercover operation in Minneapolis. While they have found the slippers' estimated value in the millions, they still only have suspects in the theft, and they're asking for the public's help. And now to the shoes with a swoosh.
It was the flying monkeys that did it. It's the controversy <laughs> surrounding Those guys. One. That's right. The Minister of Oz. The controversy, Squire joins us now because this, the controversy surrounding one of the world's best-known brands, Nike, and recruiting former NFL superstar Colin Kaepernick, who starred, uh, started the NFL's anthem protest for a new ad campaign. It's been a big story. Do you like the ads? I do. Uh, I have no problem with it. I mean, I think what Nike is doing is two things. They're trying to get on what they believe is the right side of the issue, and also they're trying to sell shoes. And I think a lot of young people in America are siding with Colin Kaepernick, and maybe they sell more shoes because of it. Well, the stock took a hit today, but as Squire mentioned, a, a lot of support on social media. Speaking volumes without saying a word, Nike's new ad campaign with Colin Kaepernick. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. The bold move coming with risk. Kaepernick became a lightning rod in 2016 when the NFL quarterback took a knee to stand up against social injustice. A silent protest, he says, that cost him his job. This country stands for freedom, liberty, justice for all. And it's not happening for all. No stranger to controversy, having worn socks depicting police as pigs, Kaepernick now part of Nike's new Just Do It campaign. With its stock dropping 3%, the backlash trending on Twitter. Some destroying their apparel while others, including high-profile athletes, applaud the move. It's certainly provocative, and now they're going to let, again, fans and consumers have that, that conversation as well. Kaepernick is suing the NFL, alleging owners colluded to keep him off the field. Nike, who's in business with the league, is reigniting a divisive debate days before the new season kicks off. The face of controversy, now part of a global campaign. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. And Nike's getting all sorts of free publicity for it, too. That's true. Is Kaepernick ever going to play again? What do you think? I don't know. I, I still think teams, uh, a lot of teams might shy away because I think a media circus will come with it. Mm -hmm. um, what I will say is I think the NFL is stunned here because Nike is a huge NFL mm -hmm. sponsor. So yeah. the NFL is going to take runs at their big sponsors so it's going to be that. interesting is it yeah and you'll i i still think you're going to see players either stay in the locker room or take a knee you're asking me about colin kaepernick and the nfl yeah i've always said that kaepernick made the super bowl but his play had kind of you know mm -hmm. tailed off a tailed off, off. yes yeah, dropped off a bit the last few years before this happened if kaepernick was at tom brady's level or aaron Rodgers' level he would still be in the nfl no matter what people think mm -hmm. of him taking a knee uh, Bo Horvat hasn't been given the captaincy from the Canucks yet, but he did get a yes from his longtime girlfriend when he asked her to marry him. Holly Donaldson and Horvat have been together for seven years. It's a feel-good love story to start the sportscast. And she's actually a pretty good athlete as well. National-level equestrian rider, top-level curler. They met in London, Ontario, where Horvat played junior hockey. And if he did this on the ice, that'd be holding. <laughs> Winning costs money. Winnipeg captain Blake Wheeler given a new contract today. It starts next season. It's an extension. He'll get an average of $8.25 million a year. It's a long deal. It'll run till he's 37 years old. But the Jets are thinking Stanley Cup in the next few years, and they need him. Uh, before next year, though, they'll also have to give young stars Patrick Liney and Kyle Connor new contracts, and they won't be cheap either. And we thought with that in mind, this going into this season, not who makes the most this year, but biggest cap hits. 
going into this year because actually Tavares will make 15.9 million this year with the Leafs. But there's your biggest cap hits. 23 players have a cap hit right now of 8 million or higher. The Vancouver Giants made the playoffs last year and they're expected to do it again this year. But they made a coaching change, a GM change in the summer, and those aren't the only changes they must adjust to. Demi true finding Mom. Mom back to a Benson scores. You won't see Tyler Benson in his 69 points in a Giants uniform this year. Same for Ty Ronning in his franchise record 61 goals from a season ago. Both playing pro this year. That's 153 points gone from a Giants team that made the playoffs for the first time in four years. We've lost some skill and we've lost some scoring, but but I think we have depth. I, I, I really like our back end. I think, I think we've got one of the top back ends in the Western Hockey League and the goaltending's solid. Uh, and I think we have depth up front. So When the Giants start the regular season in a couple of weeks, they'll ice one of the Western Hockey League's youngest teams, averaging out at 18 years old. One of their leaders will be 17-year-old defenseman Bowen Byram, whose scouts are already pegging as a first-round draft pick in next year's NHL draft. This is a team that's going to be young and restless in a good way, hungry for playoff success after getting a taste of it last year. We're going to set expectations as we want to be in the playoffs again and we want to win more. And winning a round, I think, and going further from there is something that we're going to have set an ex expectation for ourselves. This is an organization that underwent a major overhaul. A new head coach in Michael Dick and fresh leadership in the front office with first-year general manager Barkley Parnetta. Their game plan simple, win, and not just in the regular season. It was terrific to get back in the playoffs. That's one thing. Now, being happy to be in the playoffs is one thing, and being angry about losing in the playoffs is another. So we don't want, we want the mentality that we're going to go on and on in the playoffs, not just that we're in the playoffs. We want to go past that. We want to sort of set higher expectations. And, you know, the team and the age is sort of trending in that direction right now that I think that, you know what, they're realistic. Giants are back up by three, five to two. Serena at the U.S. Open against Carolina Pliskova. Pliskova got off to a good start. Watch this shot here right off the shoe tops. There. And then... Oh, she gets take another right look. There. Good anticipation. Oh! Alright. Serena though started to get her act together. Nice serve by Pliskova. Not nice enough! What do you think of that? Alright. So 6-4 for Serena, first set, second set. Serena was up four love at one point in the second set. Now 4-2, take you to match point. You know what's gonna happen. Feels an ace. Off. To the next level. But last year's champ Sloane Stevens against Anastasia Sevastova. Stevens just had nothing going today. She actually looked similar to Roger Federer. It just was the heat just seemed to get to her. She admitted after this match she just wasn't feeling it. Some players have really suffered in this humidity in New York. Stevens went out in straight sets. The net looked like the Great Wall of China at times to Stevens. She just could not get it over it. Nope. He's out. The Americans announced today that Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and Bryson DeChambeau have been added to the Ryder Cup team. It'll be Mickelson's 12th Ryder Cup. That's a record. 
The Ryder Cup is in Paris this year from the 28th to the 30th of this month. There you go. Thank All right. you, Squire. You're welcome. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. The Prime Minister's tour of Surrey continues with a Liberal Party fundraiser tonight. We have a crew there. And decision day for the man who is suing the provincial government for not acknowledging the existence of the Sasquatch or protecting its habitat. The government putting forth a number of arguments against this claim will tell you how the judge ruled and the reasons behind the decision. Those stories and the rest of the day's news when you join us tonight at 11. I like the hiking boots, uh, the Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. It's a nice touch. My mother used to have a coat like that. <laughs> I cannot say I'm surprised by that ruling. Thank you very much, Jay. All right, a photo of Cosby Show actor Jeffrey Owens, who played Elvin Thibodeau, son-in-law of Cliff and Claire Huxtable, for those who forgot, is going viral. The actor speaking out after he was job-shamed on social media for bagging groceries at a popular grocery store. Here it is. A little snack before our movie marathon. On The Cosby Show, actor Jeffrey Owens was the always sincere Elvin. So some were surprised to see pictures of the actor working a cash register at a New Jersey Trader Joe's. But what seemed like job shaming quickly turned into a spotlight on the meaning of hard work. What is my job? Messages of support pouring in. Athlete turned actor Terry Crews tweeting, I swept floors after the NFL. If need be, I'd do it again. Actress Justine Bateman added, the people taking his picture and passing judgment are trash. Owens has played many roles since Cosby. Nobody ever has. Including more recently on The Affair, Divorce, and Elementary. He says he worked at the supermarket for the flexibility so he could still audition. Owens says he's left Trader Joe's because of all the fuss, but adds there is no need to feel sorry for him. In fact, director Tyler Perry has already offered him a job. But whether you next see Owens in a hit production or a produce aisle, it doesn't matter. He's now most famous for teaching us the value in every job. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, New York. No doubt. He just wanted to be able to have flexible work hours so he could go to auditions and, you know. Why is the guy getting a job for wanting to work? I don't get it. It's a job. Doesn't make sense. Someone's so judgy, judgy on social media. Especially if they get a staff discount because Trader Joe's has some pretty good stuff, right? (laughs) Good point. Roasted chickpeas. Um, Back to school. I know for a lot of people out there, for you and me too, I hope everything went well for Jordan this morning. Sure did. Sounded like you had a great time. So two beautiful days. Get out there and enjoy them. I know it's a busy time of year, but I'm really feeling like this could be the last bit of summer-like weather for the next while. I might call him. (laughs) You know what? I got a feeling you aren't going to be here. (laughs) Have a good trip. See you guys. Thanks for watching.